So great to see each one of you here this morning. We're going to begin by talking about the book of questions. It's a book that has 275 thought-provoking questions. Some of them don't even actually warrant their time looking at them, but others are kind of interesting, and it's something to provoke conversation. Like Number 160 says, do you consider yourself well-organized? And then they follow that up with how often you have to look for your car keys. And then there's another one that's kind of easy as well. Before you make a phone call, do you rehearse what you're going to say? But then some of the questions are more uncomfortable. You discover that your wonderful one-year-old child is actually not your own. There was a mix-up at the hospital. So what are you going to do about that? And then 139... Would you rather spend a month on vacation with your parents or would you put the four weeks in at work without any extra compensation for that? And my son-in-law that doesn't work for us here, he said, well, does that mean 24-7 or just, you know, share the same cottage or whatever, but don't see one another through the day? And if you could remove one person's vocal cords, who would that be? And I hope you didn't come up with the answer too quickly, and I hope it wasn't the pastor's vocal cords. Last night, I had the wedding ceremony for Elaine Lockhart and Peter Seelig, and it was down at the Marriott Harbor front. And five, ten minutes into the ceremony, there's a big party going on in one of the other rooms, and a guy is actually playing a trumpet. And I wanted to just say, like, a time out from the wedding, and just go take that guy out. <laughs> Because my daughter Shannon was actually singing during the signing of the register, and I said, there's no way she's going to be able to sing another song while that guy's playing I don't know what on the trumpet. But that's off track here. (laughs) Then a number of the questions deal with money, deal with finances, and what you do with and maybe what you would do for certain amounts of money. And it's interesting to read these hypothetical situations. Would you, for $20,000, go for three months without washing, brushing your teeth, or using deodorant? And you couldn't tell anyone else about it, and it wasn't going to negatively affect your job. Like, Would you do that for that amount of money? Would you rather be given $10,000 for your own personal use, or would you rather have $100,000 that you could give anonymously to others? And then they bump that up a little bit. They say, what about $1 million for you or $10 million to give to others? And then they would say, one question was, if you won $2 million in the lottery tomorrow, what would you do with the money? Now, this next question isn't hypothetical. It's one that I'm asking here this morning. We have these resources that have been entrusted to us by God. And the question is, what are you doing with those resources? Last week, we started looking at Matthew chapter 25, and we talked about the fact that everything we have belongs to God, and we're encouraged to give as much of that back to him as we can. And in the parable, Jesus is helping us to think through how intentional we're going to be with the resources that he has entrusted to us. And this is one of 16 or so parables that are actually on the subject of money. So money was an important topic. 
and it's referred to as the parable of the talents. Now, in the opening verses of the parable, the wealthy master calls his servants together, and he tells them that he's going on a journey. They don't know for how long. They don't know when he's going to return. We, we just assume that it's a number of years. And then he takes his wealth, and he hands it out. So he hands out bags of gold to his servants and entrusts them to invest it and manage it wisely. And one servant receives five bags of gold, another two bags, and another one bag. So this is comparable to someone today who's making $10.50 an hour, receiving a bag of gold would be worth $400,000, somewhere in that range today. So these are large amounts of money that he's giving. The master is the owner. It all belongs to him. And the purpose for telling this parable is the fact that God is that owner. And what we have here is what theologians call ownership theology. That's the fact that everything belongs to God. So when we see our money, when we see our resources, when we see our possessions, and we look at those through ownership theology, then what the Bible says about money matters a lot because that is going to affect us in the way we live our lives. So the servants, as you know, with the five bags and the two bags, they invest it wisely. But the servant with the one bag, he dug a hole in the ground and buried it. So he basically put it in a safe and locked it up and didn't do anything with it. So the question we ask is, like, why did he do that? But, and whenever we look at our finances, and if we're not looking at it through ownership theology, then we ask this question, what do I spend it on? But the question we should be asking instead is, how does God want his money managed? Because one day the master is going to return and he's going to ask us to give an account of what we've done with his resources. And please remember that in Matthew chapters 24 and 25, Jesus is teaching about his return. The disciples have been asking some questions, so he decides, okay, I'm going to give this some dedicated time, and I'm going to talk about it. And the bottom line is be ready. So here we have Matthew chapter 24, verse 44. So you must be ready. Because you know the Son of Man will come, but you can't know precisely when. We don't know exactly when he will return. He'll come when we least expect it. And then Matthew 25, 13. So stay awake. You neither know the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will come. So here Jesus gives the story of a master who leaves and comes back. And the servants give an account of how they've handled the resources he entrusted to them. And for the purpose of this parable, Jesus uses money. He he could have used anything else. But for this application, that's what he's using. And we wonder, like, why did he choose money? Like, why is it always about money? That's because money is the most accurate reflection of our faith. How we handle our finances is best going to gauge what our beliefs actually are. Remember how the Bible puts it? Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
So money is a test, and we can say that we believe that Jesus is God and that he's the Lord of our lives, but the best indication of what we believe is how we handle the resources that he has given to us. So Jesus spends some time on this topic. He wants us to do some thinking about this and make some applications in our lives. Remember back to high school, you were sitting in class and just kind of daydreaming, looking out the window. You might have been thinking about the hockey game you were going to be playing that night. And then someone asked this question. And the question was to the teacher, is this going to be on the exam? Now, that person was asking, okay, is this important enough for me to pay attention? Because it's something I'll need in the future. And the way the teacher answered this question brought different reactions. If the teacher said, no, it's not going to be on the exam, but I want you to listen, most people would just not pay any attention at all. But if she said, yes, it's going to be on the exam, all of a sudden, everybody's more alert. Like they're taking notes. Now, today, it's typing. In our day, it was writing on a piece of paper. But we'd automatically sit up because we knew that we had to be prepared. What the teacher was saying was going to matter later. So the thing we need to know about this parable and what Jesus is saying here is that this is going to be on the exam. What I'm telling you now is something that we are going to be held accountable for later. And he tells us that one day we will be held accountable for those resources. So now we're going to pick the story up after the master returns. So we're chapter 25, verse 19 now. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. You have proved yourself excellent, not only clever, but loyal. You executed a rather small task masterfully. So now I am going to put you in charge of something larger. But before you go back to work, come join my great feast and celebration. He was excited. He went to the master. That word see, that can be translated behold. He's excited to see the master because he has been doing something with the master's money. He has produced five more bags of gold. And then as a result of that, he's anticipating this day. He's prepared. I never really liked the kids in my class that liked writing exams. Like, they go there the day of the exam, smile on their face. Like, we're so ready for this. We can't wait for the teacher to pass out those exams. And I don't know what that emotion feels like. like I would ask them, like, where do you get all this time to study? I live on a farm, so I have chores that I have to do there. Then we bus an hour each way back and forth to school, and I go to church on Sundays. I'm in youth group, and then we have different service projects we're involved in through the week. I referee hockey to make some extra money to pay for this car that I've got. Where do you get the time? But they're prepared. And they're prepared for that exam because they've just been sitting and studying and doing nothing else. So they're excited to go in and write that exam. That's what we have going on here with this servant. And we actually get some idea of this guy's spirit and attitude right after the bag of 
excuse me, the bags of gold are handed out. Look at verse 16. Promptly, the man who had been given five talents went out and bartered and sold and turned his five talents into ten. And we don't actually read this with the other two. So it's something important to note that the master chose to give him five because he knew this guy wouldn't waste any time at all and he would start to invest the money. Now, in managing God's resources, almost all of us have good intentions. Like we mean well and we say things like, like I'll be generous when, and when I get that loan paid off, when that car is paid off, or I'll be generous when you know, I get through college, or when I get married, or, or when we have children, or when the children are growing up, and then you could even ask this if you have all daughters, when I finally get them married off, and, and you go through the expense of the wedding, like, I'll be generous then. Like, we have good intentions of being generous one day, but here's the important thing to note, If you're not generous now, you aren't going to be generous then. Some of you have probably said, you know, when I make a certain amount of money, when I get to that salary range, I'll be generous. You might even actually be at that salary range right now. And we ask, you know, what happened? What usually happens is our expenses kind of keep up to our income. And there's an important biblical principle in this. It's simply to begin promptly. Now is the time to start to honor the master with the use of his resources that he has entrusted with us. And in the next verse, the master pretty well has the same conversation with the second guy. So in verse 23, excellent. You've proved yourself not only clever, but loyal. You've executed a rather small task masterfully. So now I'm going to put you in charge of something larger. But before you go back to work, come join my great feast and celebration. Well, you've passed the test, my friend. So now you're also going to move on to greater things. You're going to be put in charge of something bigger. And don't forget the context of this. Jesus is talking about his return. And when he returns, there's going to be an accounting. And on that day, he's going to demand us to explain what we've done with what he has entrusted to us. So what we do now has consequences and rewards then. And here's something I want you to note. This is very important to understand. And if you were to give every nickel that, I notice I say nickel, you can't say penny anymore because we don't get them. But if you were to give away every nickel you have or ever have, that won't guarantee you a place in heaven. And if you were to go around doing all kinds of wonderful good deeds, amazing good deeds, that's not going to get you in heaven either. The Bible says that we're all sinners and that we're saved by grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what gets us into heaven. But once we're in heaven, on the day of judgment, there will be some type of accounting. And rewards will be given based on how we've managed what God has entrusted to us. Look what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. In time, we will all stand in judgment before the throne of the anointed, the liberating king, to receive what is just for our conduct, whether it be good or bad, while we lived in this temporary body. A number of years ago, 
Peter Boyer got the idea for an adult class, and it was called Stump the Pastor. So I sat there, and students were crowded around me with their questions. And Lise Giffen asked this question. She said, is it true that in heaven there's going to be some type of system of rewards? And I mentioned how we're told that we will all receive a crown, all Christians will receive a crown, and there will be different types of gems in that crown. And then one guy speaks up and he goes, oh, I'll probably get a beanie. Like he wasn't too confident in his life and in his relationship with Jesus Christ. But there will be some system of rewards that will take place there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Tell those who are rich not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their pride and trust should be in the living God, who always richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give happily to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It is, and I love the wording of the Living Bible translation here, It is the only safe investment for eternity, and they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. So how we handle our money is an investment that will be rewarded later, but that's not the way most of us think, is it? We think, okay, this is my money, so I give it to you, and now it's your money. But that's not the way God wants us to be thinking here, because it's his money, and When we make an investment in the work of God, it's not just any investment. It is the best investment of all. Because what we do now makes all the difference then. So the question we should ask is, how can I invest in my eternal portfolio? Now I want you to know that when you give through Halifax Christian Church, you're not only giving to running the building and and the salaries and everything, but there are some amazing ways in which people are helped out. And most people don't know about it. And even in the past few months, I'd love to just go through the list of people that have received help in some way, but we're not a big enough congregation to be able to do that and have the person still kind of have some anonymity. But it is happening here. It's happening through the support that we send throughout the world. There is an investment that's being made. And the question that we have to think about as we prepare for this test is, what are you investing in now that will be rewarded then? We pick up in verse 24. Finally, the man who had been given one talent came forward. Master! I know you are a hard man, difficult in every way. You can make a healthy sum when others would fall or would fail. You profit when other people are doing the work. You grow rich on the backs of others. So I was afraid, dug a hole and hid the talent in the ground. Here it is, but you can have it. So we wonder, you know, why did he do this? What he did was a common practice back in that day. It was just hide it in the ground, the safest way of protecting your assets. Not really profitable, but it was safe. And we wonder, you know, why didn't he do what the master said? Why didn't he just invest it? Even if it was for a small amount of interest, at least it would have grown some. 
But I'm wondering if what was going on with him was he was thinking, you know, I'll let the guy with the five bags of gold do something. If I had what he had, then I could do something. I could invest it. I'd be generous. But what difference am I going to make with my one bag of gold? And there is a tendency for us to kind of look around and we see what others have and we think, well, you know, they've got so much more to give than I do and they probably are already giving so much more than I do. What what difference can I make here? But a key thing to remember here is that each person was held accountable for what the master entrusted to them. And they got the exact same response. The guy that came back with five bags of gold, the guy that came back with two bags of gold, got the same response. Because one now had ten, he wasn't greater than the other. He had used what God had given to him. So it was the fact that they had been faithful with what they'd been entrusted with. And that's what we're going to be tested on. Like whether we have millions or whether we have hundreds, we're going to be held accountable. And the reward is going to be for how we manage that. Besides that, I think we assume that if we had five bags of gold, we'd be more generous. But the statistics are amazing. For people that make less than $5,000 a year, they give 5% of that to charity. For people that make between fifty dollars and $100,000 a year, that drops down to 3.2% given away. And then for people that make over 100000 it drops to 2.9%. So the more money we generally make, the less we give. And you know something, when we're making $20,000, we're probably thinking, you know, when I get to $80,000, i will be able to do something amazing. But 10% or a tithe of $20,000 would be about $40 a week. So we would think, okay, that's a date night. Maybe we could forego that and, and give that to the church. I want to be generous. But $80,000 a year, 10% of that is $750, $800 a month. And you start thinking, okay, I could rent a really nice car for that price. I could have a Lexus or something like that. And it's harder to give. In verse 26, Matthew says these words that Jesus quoted. You wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Man, the least you could have done was invested it in this way. But did you catch what he called this servant? He calls him wicked and lazy. Now we have teenagers as they grow up and they don't cut the grass when we ask them to or put laundry in the laundry machine. Washing, thank you. The wash. <laughs> I knew there's some name there. And, but we call them lazy, but they haven't embezzled money, so we don't call our child, you know, you're wicked. But here's this guy, same thing. He hasn't done anything evil in that way. He hasn't robbed a bank or anything like that. Yet he is called wicked and lazy. And that's because... He didn't do anything 
but he just buried that money and God was wanting him to respond in a positive way. He was wanting him to take that money and make a difference in his world. So I've sort of discovered in talking about money that people don't mind what you say as long as it's kind of general, but when you start talking about percentages, then it gets to be a a little personal and people get more upset and the emails start coming in. Last week, James Stevenson talked about giving and he presented what it was said in the Old Testament. Even though the tithe or 10% of our income isn't taught in the New Testament, he used that as a benchmark. And there haven't been any emails, don't worry about that. But general is usually okay. Specific, not so. But we need to get specific and personal because one day we will stand before God and it's just going to be you, it's just going to be me, and we're going to have to give an account for what we've done. So here are some questions I'd like to finish up with. And these questions aren't made up with anyone in particular in mind, so please don't read too much into them. But the intention is just to get us to think a little bit. Some of you may own five bags of gold. Actually, that's a lot of money. Maybe not. But two or three bags. Or maybe you owe one or two bags of gold. I know that. But I just want you to think through these. Like, First of all, would you consider taking part of your vacation budget this year to help with extra mission support? Like just to take $100 from your vacation or maybe if you're staying in town for that length of time to give to the church and just say, here, this is for extra mission giving and allow the leadership of the church to dispense that to the missions that are most in need. Now last week, James... Uh, also shared how their oil bill had gone up exponentially and they just didn't have the extra money and they were thinking, we don't want to take this from what we're giving to the church. So they had their cable television cut off for this year to help them through that. And they've stuck to it. They're not coming over to our house watching their favorite shows or hockey games or anything like that. So maybe is that something you could do? Just let something like cable television go for a year. And that money would actually sponsor one, maybe even two, World Vision children. And once you've done that for the year, you'll find the money just kind of seems to come from somewhere and you might be able to go back to your cable television. Maybe you could consider putting off buying a new car for one more year so you could use what you would normally spend on that to help you get closer to giving 10% back to the church. Or maybe you have an extra car and you're not really using it that much. You could sell it, put it toward debt retirement here in the church, or maybe give it to the church so we could give it to a family that really needs a car. Would you pray about the amount of money you need in order to make excuse me, take care of your family now and in the future, and then make a commitment that whatever we make beyond that, we're going to give to the Lord's work. For some of you, would you consider making a commitment to spend a year or even a few months in a mission work? I know some of our people have tried to do that in retirement, but maybe you could do the same thing, make that effort. Maybe God will be working behind it and you could go spend some time working in a mission. Would you consider making a 
a commitment this year to your eternal investment portfolio that would be greater than the one you put in your retirement portfolio? Just think through some of these questions because we're getting closer to the day when the master is going to return and we're going to have to give an account for everything that we have. Father, we just thank you so much for entrusting everything that we have to us. We want to be faithful stewards, Father. We want to be like the servants that received the five and the two bags of gold. We want to be using your resources in positive ways. So help us, Father, to make the commitments that we need to in order to arrive at just that point. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.